the 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Silver 7's live on this Thursday. It's our home throughout the year. We got hockey tonight, 6 o'clock start. VGK, got to win this one. I mean, you got to win the next two. Calgary tonight, 6 o'clock. Edmonton following that one. You come down to Silver Sevens, watch the game. 77 cent beers, Bud, Bud Light, and Mick Ultra. Frenzy time. So we got to get back to uh, the big day yesterday for Camp Carr, Derek Carr, his family. He got this massive extension, got a lot of attention around the country, paid like a top five or seven quarterback in the National Football League, according to the numbers overall, by the extension. And one of the things... I think he thought it was important to point out, Candy, was the fact that he wants to keep the group together. He didn't like what happened to Khalil Mack when Mack was traded after Carr signed at the time what was a big deal. Remember, Mari Cooper was also traded. Did people find a little bit of inaccuracy with the retelling of that story that the Raiders were somehow, or the Raiders could have kept I'm confused on this one. Could They could have kept Mac, or they had no choice. What are some of the numbers people saying about days uh, gone by? Yeah, and this is where I found it really interesting, Steve, to look at the hard numbers on this because I love the sentiment from Derek Carr. Don't get me wrong. If Derek Carr wants to say, I took less than I could have in order to keep this team together, I have no problem with the sentiment. I don't think it's necessarily the smartest business decision for him, but that's his choice to make. Uh, But some of the folks at Over the Cap, which is the resource I use most often, talk about salary cap issues, said uh, Jason from Over the Cap said, for what it's worth, the Raiders didn't lose Mac because of cap issues. They never even wanted to engage him on the contract as Gruden just decided it was time to go. A car, air quotes, discount wouldn't have changed that outcome, but good on the Raiders for playing to that here. Right. Good on the Raiders for playing to that. Very right. interesting to see them say, like, see like someone they, smart like say they, that. Candy, like they played cars, what they're saying. That they, they're, they're like, uh, you know, bringing in some guilt when, I, I don't I said it yesterday. Mac wasn't staying. At the time, Mark Davis was getting ready to move. He was cash poor by NFL standards. You can see how things operate differently now, right? They're, they're paying out, you know, market salaries and you know, a lot of that money has to come up front and the other part of it was as as you just mentioned john gruden didn't want khalil mack on the roster i think john gruden came in and he's like we got to rebuild let's go get some draft picks now they pissed away the draft picks in many cases but Derek carr could have i mean in my mind Derek carr could have taken a salary back then of 10 million dollars a year and max probably still would have been gone Derek carr took the richest quarterback salary in the league at the time right right and the deal by now looks like a good deal. Right. Matthew Stafford passed him within days after he got his first extension. Yeah. The question really is, with John Gruden, was he ever going to pay a defensive player? Of course he wasn't going to pay a defensive player. That's not John Gruden. That's not the guy he is. He was not going to pay top dollar for a defensive player. I don't even buy it with Mark Davis and saying that, well, Mark Davis needed the new stadium revenues. No, he didn't want to look like he could afford to pay the deal back in Oakland. That's part of the whole thing. So when it comes to Mark Davis and paying players now, I'm glad. Look, give Raiders fans a chance to believe in something. I don't know that this is the best long-term path to success for them, but 
it obviously would have been had they decided to pay Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper and keep that core together. Boy, you, you hit on something really good right there, and I hadn't made the connection to the A's. Is that what the A's are doing? Hey, let's look as poor as possible. We can't pay our players. Of course we need public funding in Oakland. Of course they are. Of course the A's are. Do you think they're going to go out there in this particular environment when they are trying to get a $12 billion ballpark built in the Howard Terminal Project or leverage it against Las Vegas? Of course they're not. They're gutting the place. They're gutting it. And they're they're making their fans doubly mad by doubling their prices at the same time. They're trying to build this fervor among everybody because it takes energy to get something done. If everybody's fine with the status quo, nothing gets done. Uh-oh, new status quo developing. It's really not a status quo because it's changing day by day in college football. I don't think what we're doing right now is a sustainable model. Nick Saban, Alabama coach, telling AP as he goes into the ills of college football because of NIL, this is an incredible set of quotes from Saban, from Lincoln Riley, from Dabo Sweeney. And I'll before I read some of the material here, I'll throw it out there. Is Nick Saban a hero for mentioning this? Or is he an absolute hypocrite? Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney, before you go any farther down this road, I want the right context around this discussion, Cofield. If you don't know the answer off the top of your head, that's fine. Take the best guess you can at combined in 2021 how much Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney made to coach unpaid college athletes. I think I know the exact number, but uh, I'll play the game. Uh, They made um, $12 million combined. They made $19.2 million combined in 2021. Yeah. $19.2 million. So when you hear about (laughs) what's wrong with college football, realize who you're hearing it from. Proceed, good sir, with what Nick had to say. Yes. Saban says the concept of NIL was for players to be able to use their name, image, and likeness to create opportunities for themselves. That's what it was. So last year on our team, our guys probably made as much or more than anybody in the country. And they, you know, they finished up second in the country. So that's why I mentioned, is he a hero? He benefits from this. But, you know, the system and the sport is more important than Alabama being in the top two, Candy. Look at hero. 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 Nick Saban. Hero. He and Dabo, they have always been there for the people. They have always been there for the betterment of everyone and not just to make 9.7 and 9.5 million dollars individually with a completely unpaid workforce. uh, Sweeney says college football might need a quote, complete blow up. (laughs) He says, I think you'll have 40 or 50 teams. By the way, he doesn't mention schools. Uh, I think you'll have 40 or 50 teams and a commissioner. And here are the rules. This is where it gets awesome from Nick Saban and Davos Sweeney. Again, Nick Saban, Story comes out yesterday in the AP. I don't think what we're doing right now is a sustainable model. Talking about NIL and the recruiting and all the money going to the players. And he says, so there's going to have to be some changes implemented, some kind of way to still create a level playing field. Wait, the Alabama coach? He, 
He is a hero, Candy. He wants a level playing field. He says, and there is no salary cap. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hmm. So whatever school decides they want to pay the most, they have the best chance to have the best team, and that's never been college football. <laughs> he is 100% right. That has never been college football. They've never gone out there and paid for their best players. Oh, my God. Never. I love this because what Dabo's talking about going to 40 or 50 uh, teams, as you said, is we're going to end up in a spot where what they want is a salary cap for their teams alone. They want a level playing field for the autonomous five. That's what they want. And everybody else can go pound sand. They want to make sure their kids get an even playing field and that all of a sudden a big donor from, let's say, Texas A&M yep. can't just make it so that little Nicky's got a problem. And that's the hypocrisy here is Nick Saban is literally getting pissed off that the 16th biggest program has become a pain in the ass for him. The 16th best program, right? I, 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 Texas A&M has always had the resources. They just haven't used them correctly. This is so absurd. Everyone out there needs to call out these guys. They're not doing this for the good of college football. What, what has happened here is they've had to work harder to keep their roster together. They've had to work harder to grab guys out of the portal. Technically, they're not supposed to be involved in the NIL, but of course they have to be involved. And listen, it was if you're speaking as a coach, l listen, it's our game to the players and the high school recruits. We get to tell you what we're giving you. You don't dictate that process. And now I think the shoe's on the other foot. And you notice it's a lot of the older guys who are speaking about NIL and the portal in both college basketball and college football. And in college football, these are the guys who have ruled the roost. They've had the biggest muscles, and now others are kind of freaking muscling in on their territory, and they're pissed, and then they throw stuff out like this. Come on, guys. We see what's happening here. Well, you know what it's called when there is a competitive labor market and there are companies who are all trying to bring in those employees? That's called capitalism. That's called the free market. We don't get to experience it very often because billionaires in pro sports put these artificial restraints on themselves because they wouldn't want to be spending too much. They don't want to uh, hold me back. Keep my wallet from me. I'm going to spend too much. Yeah, that's that's what reality is. Another cool prize to give away. Ari's got your call at number seven. Caller number seven, 364-1100, Vegas Sports and Hockey is now open in the Centennial area. You get a $50 gift card, and then you're also qualified to win the grand prize. It's a two-night staycation, April 28th and 29th, right there around the draft at TI. Dinner at Gillies during the draft, 364-1100, caller number seven. Vegas Sports and Hockey is now open uh, in the Centennial area, right there on uh, Centennial Center Boulevard, right between Total Wine and Planet Nissan. We'll talk transfer portal because it just hit in a big way. UNLV football yesterday, as Marcus Arroyo uh, spoke about the loss, we think, we think, there's always a chance guys come back, but the loss of one of his talented quarterbacks in Doug Brumfield. Sign up for an A-Play card and unlock some great food specials at the Sterling Spoon Cafe at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Live.
from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. So, Candy, I was out at UNLV spring practice today, and, uh, you know, it's a little jarring when you're there and they're warming up, and there's only three quarterbacks because you know how important quarterback depth is during the season. Now, the season's not here. It's April. Things will be okay, we think. But warming up today, Cameron Friel, holdover, starter for most of the season a year ago. Matt Geating, you know, prospect quarterback who was on the roster a year ago from Southern California. And Harrison Bailey, the transfer from Tennessee. These guys are going to get a lot of work the rest of spring practice. So Doug Brumfield yesterday surprised some by going into the transfer portal. Your thoughts, because I will give you Marcus Arroyo's thoughts here in just a second. Your thoughts. What's your reaction? The easy take here is that Doug Brumfield saw the writing on the wall that this was not going to be his job after a few days of spring practice and that that likely means that Harrison Bailey is at least pulling ahead in this thing. Doesn't mean he's necessarily got the job, but if you're Doug Brumfield and you see Harrison Bailey starting to perform and you see Marcus Arroyo feeling good about that, then you probably can know what the next step should be if you want to find playing time. I'm going to push back on what Brumfield knew or saw because I'm seeing a lot of clearly Bailey. You didn't say this, but I'm seeing a lot of clearly Bailey is the guy. And Marcus Arroyo made some interesting comments the other day to Mike Ramallah. We can go through those. But in talking to the coach this morning, we first got his reaction to Brumfield, who, frankly, you know, of the three quarterbacks, and I got to see a lot more of Harrison Bailey. You know, you don't get to see a whole lot of practice and and get to see his tools. But uh, Brumfield is a really toolsy guy. He's got a ton of upside on the field. But uh, I asked Marcus Arroyo about, hey, you know, what was the conversation like? You, You talk to these players when they're going into the portal what was it like with Doug yeah I won't get into specifics between me and Doug and, and exactly I think that's a little bit uh intimate in regards I want to keep obviously that that prep but he came in and did pretty standard operation wanted to, wanted to talk and said he had you know interest in, in going in the portal and we had a conversation about it obviously you know disappointed because I think we've invested a lot there and, and want to be part of our team and, but again they he had uh, had his heart set there talked to his family apparently and so those things are going to happen. That's just the, that's the new that's the new era of football if, if guys want to go and test the waters at other places unfortunately right now we can't stop them well, I'm hoping that all it is is test the waters because I would love to see Doug Brumfield in the mix with UNLV, but uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Guys, you know, from time to time do return after making the decision. I think he'll get some pretty interesting offers. A uh, 6'5 guy who can throw and run like Brumfield is very attractive. Uh, you'll hear my voice on this one as we – fire it because uh, I, I i believe that brumfield is a loss to that quarterback room can you talk about your disappointment in terms of what you lose with his skill set on and off the field well i mean there's some doug has some good flashes missed nine games you know and had a little bang up in the in that first season i think that the thing that was uh, really good was to see cam come in with seven seven reps really in the whole fall camp and have to end up being a starter and so again we got an opportunity now to to bolster the reps when, when guys step away and um, obviously has some, some skills, but we've got to, uh, we can replace those. And I think the guys who played in that position did a nice job in his, in his departure last year. Some people on Twitter reacting to that got a little angry that uh, Arroyo mentioned Brumfield and injuries and who stepped up in his stead. Did he do anything wrong there? 
Do you think wrong? No. Was that the cleanest, most considerate way to handle that? Not even a little bit. I mean, that's a softball question to say, here are the positive qualities that Doug Brumfield had. And not only did he not take it, he basically dragged the guy for not being on the field and talked about how great it was for them to get the opportunity for Cameron Friel to come in. Now, in reality, what do you expect the guy to say? Cameron Friel's the guy who stayed. Cameron Friel is still here. He wants to pump up Cameron Friel as the guy who's still here. So I understand what he was out to do. I think it just might have been a clumsy way of doing it. And by the way, he's consistent because he, he did the same exact thing. Um, he didn't mention injuries with Steve Jenkins, a wide receiver who went into the portal last week, but he, he did quickly pivot to, hey, now the door is open for guys like Ricky White and Jeff Weimer and other returnees like Kyle Williams and Zyle Griffin. So he's being consistent in this one. Um, these answers are a little bit longer, but I think they're, they're, they're pretty interesting. Uh, you know, I talked about just three quarterbacks uh, out there today uh, in drills and at practice, and I, I mentioned at the beginning one of the guys who wasn't there as a walk-on was just kind of wondering what's going on with the guy, uh, Jared Haywood, who's out of Southern California. And then Arroyo explains, you know, what's on the way in terms of what the quarterback room could look like in the fall. Haywood's a walk-on. Haywood's okay. got uh, – we, we've got a couple guys that we've taken uh, for team matters and academics to make sure that they're doing their part okay. and our core value. Um, but we've got Jaden, obviously a, a signee coming in, and we're really excited about local guy, who's a big time guy. Um, we'll probably take the opportunity to take another walk on. We do every year to take a guy and, and, and put him into the fold uh, as far as the roster. But again, the three guys, three or four guys on, on scholarship. I mean, it's going to be a the roster management piece right now in today's age. You got to figure out it's going to be where you want to put those spots as they start to develop because they ebb and flow. It may be not. You know, we feel good about the quarterback position, and maybe it's going to be bolster up the O line or D line or DBs or you know and replace that spot. And that's a again. It's right now. It's a moving target. It's an every day for us right now. It is truly uh, three sixty-five open free agency, and that's that's different than than every other sport that has this type of deal. And I think until we put uh, guardrails on it, we've got to be ready all the time. And it's, it's hard, but it is what it is. Would you want to pull another quarterback who could compete for the starting job out of the portal this late? Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think that we'd be scared to do that if we felt that was going to be the best best interest or the best value for our, our roster. But I don't know if that's we, – we've got to evaluate that now. It's been, you know, uh, only a couple of days to kind of see where things at. It may open the gate for um, maybe a value stock somewhere else that we thought was higher. And after spring ball, we think we need to bolster a little bit more. So um, we're not opposed to that. I wouldn't say no. And, and I wouldn't say that that's, we're dead set on just having a quarterback there. But that spot's now created, and, and so it gives us the flexibility to, uh, to increase the roster. So maybe I'm a little shell shocked from watching watching up close last year. In that in that I'm presenting a scenario, I'm like, you got to get more quarterbacks. But last year was crazy. I mean, I I can't remember what game it was, but I mean, I I looked out on the field. Uh, well, Air Force was not good, right? But I looked out on the field, and it between guys being out and guys being beat up, I'm like, my God, it would be good to have Tate Martell right now, healthy. I mean, and I'm not ripping on Tate. He just he wasn't he wasn't healthy, and I I think at this stage of his uh, career, he's not. You know, he wasn't ready to play quarterback. That's that's how thin they got. Now, he mentioned they've got one of the best, highest-rated quarterback recruits in the history of the program coming in, a local. So the room is not going to be super thin. Now, they do have to manage the situation now. Um, I'm not saying they're going to do this, but um, and I actually believe this. Cameron Friel right now, to me, is the starting quarterback. And it's not based on anything I've seen from Harrison Bailey, but he's got to learn the system. And there is a learning curve. Um, but, man, coming out of the spring, I would almost like to see them go, you know what, Friel, you're the starting quarterback. Now, there's still going to be competition going to the fall. But, I mean, it, think about it. It's crazy now for coaches 
to massage, and I'm not blaming it on the kids because quarterback is one of those positions people are going to have a hunger to bring you to their program because everyone is looking for that next guy and wanting depth. But I, I'd almost, coming out of spring, I'd be like, you know what, Cam, you're the guy. What were we at, Cofield? Game eight, game nine last year by the time we had a UNLV quarterback start and finish a game? Like, we were almost to the end of the season by the time we saw one UNLV quarterback go start to finish. And what we saw from Cam Freel last year was, look, the talent with the legs is there. There is an arm. He just wasn't particularly accurate with the ball last year, and he also didn't have a lot of time uh, to operate. So, yeah, if you want to go in there and say Cam Freel is the starting quarterback, sure. But this is Marcus Arroyo. And one thing we know about Marcus Arroyo, they're going to write it on his tombstone, it's that I don't have a number one quarterback. Like, like it's, you know, you're going to basically have game one start at the beginning of the year, and that's when you'll find out, apparently, every year with Marcus Arroyo who his starting quarterback is. Uh, let's finish up the conversation this morning with UNLV's football coach, Marcus Arroyo, because I, I kept going back to the transfer portal because I really am fascinated by the process. And, it, you know, it's the same thing with basketball. We talked to Kevin Kruger yesterday and asked him questions about, like, do you have a list all the time? Like, who, who's keeping track of this? This is lunacy. There's players going in, players going out. You make a pitch to a player, and then all of a sudden there's, you know, 17 other schools apparently who have called on him. And uh, here's Arroyo talking about trying to manage what's going on right now, like he said, where there are no guardrails. I mean, we're being really creative. We've got guys on, on, the, on the radar, our guys in-house that are on the portal radar all the time, um, navigating who's in, who's out. Uh, we've got a roster management board that changes every day and gets updated every day. We're evaluating guys. While we're on the practice field, we've got another few guys in the office that are always going through film and getting things organized for us to come back in and watch. And so when we get when we get things or changes on the roster, we go back in and we hit the deck uh, a tape and go, hey, we need to watch you know three more wideouts. Who are the three wideouts we got at the top of the board? And let's see if, if it's if that's where the value grabs at. You've seen us do that now, and and in the most recent uh, in this year is the most recent. Um, and so I, that's really our process right now. It's 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 a it's one that we're constantly evaluating because I don't know if it's per, it's not perfect, but some of the tools that they've 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 created that are out there, um, some of the the resources for recruiting have helped. There's some there's a lot of uh, places that have, have created those uh, those stockpiles of information for us to go through and navigate and get through as fast as we can. Do do an eval as fast as we can. Get some tough questions from their past and see if they fit. Going back to the beginning of the hour, all of this requires a really good staff. And I think an energetic head coach. And, again, I don't want to sound like an ageist, but I do think that is part of the reason why you're seeing some older coaches who are like, I got to do what now? Well, Nick, you make $10 million a year. and Like, we gave you a how. I got to do what? Like, there's a resistance, but this is what it is right now, Candy. You're either working 365 days a year on your own roster and your players and keeping an eye out for others, or you're going to fall behind. If you're not working on your roster 365 days a year as the UNLV head coach, whether you're Marcus Arroyo or anybody else with the history of this program, if you are not invested 365 days in building up this roster, then you're probably not the right person to be at this particular program that has had the long-term struggles that UNLV has had. And to hear Marcus Arroyo say, right now, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about it, I don't want to hear about portending when there are more guardrails or when there's a system that gives coaches and schools more control. No, we are years overdue for players having more freedom to move and more freedom to make money. Yeah, and I I think they're embracing the opportunity. Uh, 
they're picking players from every nook and cranny of college football. It looks like, and he couldn't speak about it today, but it looks like they've tried to bolster the uh, wide receiver room. They uh, they had a kid announced the other day, 6'4", 210 wide receiver from uh, CSU Pueblo. I, I don't know a lot about him, but uh, if he winds up coming to UNLV, you can see they're doing their research and they're trying to find players wherever they can. Enjoy 77-cent Bud Light bottles during Vegas Golden Knights games at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Like the wallpaper sticks to the wall. Like the sea shark clings to the sea. Like you'll never get rid of your shadow. Frank, you'll never get rid of me. Let all the others. Fat Pack. Live at Silver Sevens. Come on down. VGK game starts up. In about 90 minutes, 77-cent beers during all of the Vegas Golden Knights games. Big game tonight at Calgary. Must win. Bud, Bud Light, Mick Ultra. 77-cent beers. And, of course, across the way at the Silver and Gold Bar, we're at the Bud Light Lounge. Across the way, you can bet all the baseball and the hockey tonight. The William Hill Race and Sportsbook. Candy, you're the one guy in the show I can lean on for a little bit of golf. Excitement. We're all so bitter on Cofield and Company. You know, we weren't part of the elite crowd growing up with the uh, country club spoon in our mouth. Like you and Ari. I don't think you were. Um, But there is part of me that liked golf, still likes some things about it. Um, I love finding out, boy, this is going to destroy my whole, I like golf. I do like finding out about the sordid details of golf, the underbelly of golf. And I'll tell you. I, I thought you'd be into this. I was interested, or at least my interest was piqued, by the latest 30 for 30 that's coming out on Greg Norman because I think there's a lot of good and bad there, high drama and low moments. Am I reading this correctly? This is going to be a question of how far into the present day they want to go with Greg Norman. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Right? Um, Because if you've been following Greg the last month or so and seen his comments about the competing Saudi tour, and um, let's just say he's more sympathetic to those folks than I think a lot of people in the U.S. would be. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Look, everybody probably knows Greg Norman over the Masters choke, right? If, If you know him for anything, you probably know him for that. You probably also should know that Greg Norman, in terms of business success outside of being a golfer, is one of the most successful professional athletes post-career that there has been, whether it's the wine, whether it's the clothing. like He has sold the brand very, very well over the course of time. So, yeah, I mean, kids like me from the mean streets of Hartsdale, New York, we, we were ready for that country club life like Greg Norman right from the start, and, uh, and, and that's why I love golf, and that's why I'm looking forward to this documentary. I remind people about the Masters collapse. It was 96. And let's see if I have it correctly. I believe it was six shots up at the turn on yep. Nick Faldo uh, and managed to complete one of the worst chokes in the history of golf, Ooh. giving up a six-shot lead uh, over the back nine at Augusta. And it's always painful when they have Nick Faldo, who is the lead analyst for CBS, on the Masters with Jim Nance because – 
invariably, if you have a close round on the final round of the Masters, they go to Nick Faldo and they show some highlights, and Nick has to try to talk generously about winning one of his green jackets because Greg Norman choked on a pimento cheese sandwich. I advise everyone to watch this, even if you're not a golf fan. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come off here like I'm some learned individual. The only way I learn things anymore because uh, my ADHD kicks in about three paragraphs into any story um, is to watch sports documentaries, um, drama slash documentaries, like, like winning time. You haven't gotten back into winning time, have you? You have to really capture my interest fully in order to Damn. get me to watch hours upon hours upon hours. You know how it is for country club kids like me and Ari. There's always something <laughs> more interesting. We always have something else we could be doing with our time or have sure. someone do it for us. You just pay someone to watch it and then tell you about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I used to have a nanny for that kind of thing, but you know, <laughs> then she got kicked out of the house and... <laughs> There we go. What if I what if I told you, um, d- did you did you see any of the Spencer Haywood stuff? I saw oh, a boy. headline you about Spencer it. Haywood. You gotta watch. You gotta watch it. You gotta you gotta watch. I'm more interested in Clue Haywood. Um, the last episode was was very good. I think they played. They took some liberty with the timeline, but honestly, like in, in terms of documentaries and learning things. Um, and I'm not a super young guy. I really didn't know a whole lot about Jack McKinney and his short run with the Lakers. I'll just leave it at that. Watch it. It's a fascinating story. And, like, I I don't know. When you were growing up, you know, learning about basketball, um, say, 80s into the 90s, 2000s, people should mention the Showtime Lakers and their run-and-gun style that revolutionized the game and actually mention Jack McKinney. And, by the way, also Paul Westhead. Like, I don't hear I, – I didn't hear – all I heard about Paul Paul Westhead was, "Hey, Magic got him fired." You're like, "Okay, well, that didn't work out." And then we know, you know, I was, I'm talking about Westhead with the Lakers, right? Um, but like that kind of stuff, I think are some of the, the the juicy morsels. Even if you're not into the dramatic stuff, to learn about guys like that and their place in basketball history has been pretty cool. Oh, you and I had Paul Westhead on this show talking about his style and what he brought to the game of basketball. And if you don't know that, if you like the modern basketball era of higher scoring, you need to know what Paul Westhead's contributions to that were like. We will try to get him on because i got to tell you, as I'm watching Winning Time, I'm repeatedly saying in my head, Paul Westhead was a good basketball coach and and an innovator. They kind of make him look like a nerdy, nervous buffoon. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Company's eye on sports betting with Brad Powers. All right, let's do it. Big hour of college football today. Yeah, it's April, but we love college football. Football is king. Brad Powers, college football expert. At Brad Powers 7, BradPowerSports.com. I love what Brad has done the last couple of years, embracing college football as a 12-month-a-year sport. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. I appreciate that. It is indeed a 12-month year around sport at this point. Well, when you're doing what you're doing, uh, watching all the spring games and posting videos, which we'll get to in a couple minutes, it is. It, it's, it's, and it, I actually I think it deserves that attention, and that's how you uh, potentially win betting college football. But let's get to the big story in college football first. Uh, your reaction to 
the the kings of college football in terms of salary. I guess maybe uh, uh, Jimbo should be in there. But um, Saban and Sweeney basically saying what's going on right now with NIL and recruiting is not sustainable. we got to change things. What's your reaction? Uh, you know, I agree with them. I, I think it's going to take a couple of years. Uh, I'm not sure there's anything anybody can do about it as of right now. Uh, let the market mature. It's no different than, you know, with legalized sports betting. Uh, it's kind of, it, you know, for first few years going to be the wild, wild west. And then once the market matures, it'll settle down. I would say this for the, the teams that are worried about the Texas A&Ms of the world, you know, paying out the players. I can tell you this. After a few seasons, uh, of a lot of those players not developing or, or turning out, you're, you're not going to see those millionaires uh, be, you know, in my opinion, willing to, to spend that kind of money to get that recruiting class year after year after year if it's not producing uh, as far as wins. And I'm talking big time wins. Texas A&M is concerned. I mean, it's next two, three years, it's going to be national title and bust for them. Yeah, you know what, that's the way I look at it, that it'll mostly correct itself, and if there are schools out there and boosters and NIL deals where you know people are going to give 3 and 4 and $5 million to a, a star player, let it play out, see how it works out. Because to your point, yep. college football recruiting is really inexact. Like while we see all the guys who come out of Alabama and go to the NFL, there are you know just as many who are 5 and 4 stars who – never break through to the one and twos. And a lot of time, I mean, we just saw Georgia the other day had two of their you know, most highly recruited offensive linemen basically bail because they couldn't break through after a year and a half. <laughs> no question about it. No, number one, I, I do think a, a good thing to come out of this, I mean, uh, if you do follow recruiting, Tennessee's got a highly rated five-star kid. It looks like they're going to pay him upwards of $8 million. Tennessee doesn't get that kid without the, the NIL going on. He. he Either you know goes to your typical Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State in the world, so that's a positive. As far as uh, you said, uh, as far as the four and five star talent not, not always developing or turning out, ask USC, ask Texas, ask Miami, who consistently yep. have top fifteen classes, and yet they never—I mean, at least for the last ten years—hardly ever trans uh, that translates to the field. ESPN came out with. Uh their top teams according to whatever their FPI is. And you look at some of the schools and you're like, wait a second, Texas, Auburn, and LSU all top 11? So, I mean, anybody can have a model. Uh, I mean, that, that's, the, you know, people like to, to say that now. But, I mean, sometimes your model, I don't care what your input is. I mean, you got to actually take a look at your output. When your output spits out and says Texas is the number six team in the country, something's wrong with your model, in my opinion. Uh, there's, I mean, I I could see Texas in the top 25, and that's saying a lot considering you know Longhorns are five and seven, they didn't get a winning record a year ago. I could see that case, but to to have them number six where ESPN's FPI has them, I think is outrageous. Probably even more outrageous is Auburn at number ten. I mean, a couple of the books that have you know already released season win totals have Auburn season win total right around five. I mean, what? I don't even have <laughs> Auburn in my top. I mean, I'm looking. I, you know, I value talent. I follow yeah, recruiting. Yeah. I don't even have Auburn in my top thirty. So, wow. I mean, the ESPN's FBI has not ten. So overrated. And LSU's another story. I mean, it, it's interesting too. As you bounce around, you're like, okay, uh, at the most important position, who is the guy going to be? Do we have clarity at the quarterback position? What, what, what do you think is going to turn? Is LSU going to go with two guys? Is someone going to wrestle hold of the job? 
I don't know. I I'm gonna have, that's one where I gotta watch the spring game here next week for LSU. I think it's pretty vital. They are a very high variance team as far as I'm concerned. I mean, not only because you know, I'm a new coach, but I mean they brought in as many transfers as anybody. I mean, USC and LSU are two schools with first year coaches that you know basically had to redo their entire rosters in offseason. Now, uh, you know, fortunate for Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly. Uh, you know, there is the transfer portal where, where they can take advantage of that, where that wouldn't have been the case, you know, three, four, five years ago. It would have been a multiple-year rebuild to get that roster in better shape through recruiting classes. But I yeah, I don't know with LSU. I mean, I'm, right now, reading the tea leaves, I think it's going to be Jaden Daniels, the Arizona State transfer, but i got to see it with my own eyes. Yeah. Uh, I know you watch a lot of Jaden Daniels. I got to see him up close, you know, last season against UNLV, and I think he's good. Um, but he's not—he's not an unreal like next level thrower of the football yet. He's got a lot of tools, um, and the step up in competition will be pretty interesting. All right, so you've been—this is great, folks. I'm telling you, follow Brad on Twitter uh, and go to BradPowerSports.com as well. But at BradPower7 on Twitter, he's watching all the spring games, and then he's putting up a video clip and giving you—you know—a little morsel here and there. And I, I think I've seen at least like 15 uh, programs that you had to mention with. I'm just going to go through some of them. Uh, Nebraska. Do you feel like Nebraska is ready for a breakthrough? Their spring game was really well attended to the tune of 50,000-plus, and I know you pointed out, what was it, one of their running backs? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the running backs at least showed some breakaway ability. Uh, it's, you know, you haven't seen too much of that from Nebraska the last four or five years. I mean, it depends on what your definition of breakthrough is. I mean, I think it would be very wise for Scott Frost not to have a losing season. I think he gets to his first bowl game as a head coach, so I think Nebraska goes from three wins to probably six or seven. That 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 saves Scott Frost's job. They're adding talent. It's going to be a little bit of a build here, but at Arizona, they have added talent. They have, and that's a program that I'm keeping an eye on. I'm not sure that they make a big move this year. I mean, keep in mind this is a team only won one game in the last two years combined. They lost to an FCS school in Northern Arizona a year ago. And their schedule is really tough. I mean, they opened the season at San Diego State. San Diego State's opening up a brand-new stadium. I think San Diego State's favorite in that one. They also play Mississippi State non-conference. And North Dakota State is the FCS oh. opponent for Arizona. I think North Dakota State will be favored in that game. So I could see Arizona being an underdog in at least 10, 11 games. So maybe two or three wins this year. And then next year, because of the upgrade at recruiting that they've done, that's when they make their move is next year in 23. You posted video on uh, Pittsburgh and their spring practice. I mean, they're losing Kenny Pickett, right? Uh, big step down, right? They're not going to be good? So, I mean, that's going to be the narrative. Oh, I mean, you know, Pitt's not going to be good. They lose Kenny Pickett. Keep in mind they bring in Keaton Slovitz from USC. And I'm not even sure he's the slam dunk to win the job. I mean, the backup last year actually looked pretty good. And keep in mind the bowl game, the backup, they played without Kenny Pickett. Backup was beating Michigan State. And then he got hurt, and they had to go to a third-string guy, and that's where Michigan State took control of that game. So, I mean, believe it or not, I mean, Pitt's got a lot of talent returning. They had the Blitnikoff winner and Jordan Addison, a wide receiver back. Defensive line's really good. I think Pitt's the favorite in the ACC Coastal for the second year in a row. How many games are out for week one now total? I saw you post a message that you you had at least six. Is that is that the max, or we have more games out there to bet week one? No, nah, there's only six last I checked, and that was about 24 hours ago. I bet five or six, so I'm not <laughs> okay. afraid to fire right. if I think there's mispricing. All right, Florida, Utah. I bet Utah plus one. Uh, I just think, you know, Florida first year coach first game. I mean, it'll be an exciting atmosphere. I'm watching Florida spring game in the background right now, but I just, 
I think it's a little too much to ask for Florida in, in game one with Billy Napier to beat a, a, a good Utah team that returns uh, their starting running back quarterback and obviously winning Hampton there forever. Arkansas against Final Four team Cincinnati from a year ago, and Arkansas is laying eight and a half. So I'm big on Arkansas. I already bet Arkansas season win total over, but with that being said, this is way overpriced in my opinion. I, mean, I know Cincinnati loses you know, a guy like Desmond Ritter, at quarterback, but they, they've signed their best back-to-back classes in school history. There's still a lot of talent left there, and asking Arkansas to lay more than a touchdown against a team that's been a consistent winner in the last three, four years, too much. I bet Cincinnati. Clemson wound up having a really good season last year by the win-loss record. They didn't win games like they have in the past. They come out of the gates, they're playing Georgia Tech, and they're 21-and-a-half? <laughs> yeah. A fair number, believe it or not. I wanted to bet Clemson. Uh, I think Georgia Tech's an absolute mess this year. This will be the last year for Jeff Collins, their head coach. I'm 21-and-a-half fair. I'm not wild about laying, you know, in a conference game, three touchdowns on the road with Clemson. Uh, some of the games we mentioned last week, the numbers moved already, right? Yeah, so Ohio State took money. I'm part of it. Uh, Florida State took money. Uh, I'm part of it against LSU. And Georgia took money against Oregon. I'm a part of that. So I, I think those are all three of the correct sides, Ohio State, Georgia, and Florida State. By August, how many games do you think – well, we don't know how many are going to be up on the boards, but how many games do you think you'll have money down on by August? Well, if you count season win totals, futures, like conference futures, and, you know, highest and best, Week one, game of the years they release, you know, the Ohio State-Michigan lines that you know, some of the casinos like releasing in the summer. I'll have more than 200 bets by the time, you know, August rolls around. And you have no problem, you know, hey, it's about value, and if, you know, you gotta you got to sit on your money for a while, doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it's some of the more, in my opinion, some of the more high-value picks of the entire year. Now, I'm not betting like I would during the season. If I, you know, in the season, if I think something's off a half point around a key number, I'm firing. That's not the case, you know. This time of year, these are games that I think are off more than three points. At least in some cases, I think they're off a touchdown. Brad, good spot, man. Always uh, good to get a convo in about the latest in college football. Excellent job. All right. Hey, thanks for having me on. Take care. At Brad Powers 7 on Twitter. During the season, you know this, but I'll tell people who are new to the show. Uh, Brad does put up a lot of his tickets, so you see what he's betting, and there's accountability there. And One of the guys we really trust when it comes to college football. And you can hear all the work he puts in, right, Candy? I don't care what you just said. All I heard was him dragging my northern Arizona lumberjack saying, <laughs> oh, Arizona lost to an FCS school. Yeah, yeah, they lost to the NAU lumberjacks. That's who they lost to, Louis T. Lumberjack, walking into Tucson and kicking some axe. By the way, I, I misphrased when I was saying sitting on your money. It would be the book sitting on Brad's money for a little longer than – than normal, but he's willing to put it up there. All right, Candy's got to get in on the Kershaw perfect game yesterday. My God, so many old people got so pissed off. And then there was a whole group of like 30-somethings that were just completely livid.